Yes, so I recently um, read, I don't remember if it's in the suttas or if it's in uh, Ambedkar's book, but I read that um, the Buddha, actually, it, it took quite some time for the Buddha to to accept his own auntie uh, as a renunciant uh, and part of the Sangha. And um, that it took uh, Ananda's request for several time for the Buddha to accept uh, his auntie and uh, the woman in general as part of the Sangha. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, wondering why, and uh, and then I was also wondering what was the role of the women in the Sangha. Okay. okay. Um, so, let's start with the story and the foundation of the story. Um, with with women not uh, being allowed into the Sangha until the Buddha gave finally permission. Now, to start off with, Ananda had to ask him three times, and that has actually become a tradition that the, that the master has to be asked three times before he will say yes, because in that period of time, some things can happen. All right. The second point, which drives this home even further, was is that it was his aunt, as you said, except that she was the sister of uh, Buddha's mother, naturally being an aunt. But his mother died within a week of his birth, which meant that his actual mother, the one who raised him, was this aunt. So that even brings it even closer. Okay, an aunt is an aunt in in America. Oh, she lives in Chicago or something like that. The reality is, is that no, this is really close to family. Then, in mm-hmm. fact, the other side of it was is that Ananda was her natural child, which made then uh, mm-hmm. the Buddha and Ananda half brothers. Okay. Except that they were also cousins, etc. <laughs> And that both the sisters were married to, I think his name is Sukadano, uh, the king at the time. And so that's the background of this. And that uh, the Buddha did not have Ananda as an attendant until 25 years after he was teaching. That Ananda was there only for the last 20 years of the Buddha's life. And the reason for that is because of all the... uh, let us say, family duties that Ananda intended to. And then after that was, he went to live with um, the monks. Now, the second part of it has to do with uh, the background then as to why the Buddha would have been so reluctant. And the answer to that is uh, not only complicated, but you can still see the results of it today in both 
the way that it's worked within Buddhism and also in nature, that the Buddha was actually addressing a natural problem. And that is, is the distinction between the sexes. Now, the Buddha was raised um, in, a, in a Brahmin, uh, Rishi, um, recluse, uh, wanderer tradition that the wanderers are the uh, the spiritual seekers are out on their own. They're travelers, they're pilgrims, they're going around someplace. Um, and for that reason, it's, it's done singly. But that was more culture than anything else. But you can see that culture running wild, even in modern culture. Uh, that a meditation teacher who is married doesn't quite have the status of one who is single for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And so, um, basically, it's it's for safety. That because also in that time and still in many other cultures and traditions even today, is is that women are property. And that the monks then were actually being free from property as well as their sensual desires. Now, I have to introduce an an idea. Uh, So let's start with the example of someone who is on a diet. We could also do smokers. Let's do smokers, okay? The easiest way for a smoker to quit smoking is to not have any smoking equipment around. He throws it out. He gets rid of his last cigarettes. He washes them down the toilet or something. And now he's done with it. So when that strong craving and desire for a cigarette comes, it's not going to be easily satisfied with the cigarettes that he kept in the drawer. He's going to have to go shopping. And if he's smart enough, shopping is 30 miles away, which even further deteriorates the idea of going. Maybe I can put up with and do what I wanted to do rather than succumb to my feelings right now. Okay, so if we can see that with tobacco, we can see it with a diet. Don't have the donuts in the house when you're on a diet. And so uh, Makes not. Sense. Okay. So not having women around also makes sense for the men, but the women hear that. And I imagine the donuts would feel the same way of women if you can't have them at home. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it works the other way around though, because in fact, the Buddha was able to do that. That in fact, what he set up with the bhikkhunis was absolutely brand new because there was no other tradition in India specifically for women at the time. But all of the old rishis, all the yogis, all of that kind of stuff were all men anyway. And that you can see that even in our culture, even on our little sangha groups that we have on Sunday, that the men generally outnumber the women. Why is that? Partly because men are hungry. They're built that way. 
They've got extra things that they've got to deal with. To where women have a quality of home and being at home and nurturing and family and all of that. And so by our very nature, women provide something that men need. And the whole idea then is to get men out of needing things. To get them healthy mentally. And so keeping away from the women is a good idea, but in the same regard, whether it's, of, um, let us say, a specific item of ordination or whether it's full ordination, and I'm making the difference between here and Thailand, is, is that they have various levels of, of women uh, ordinance and what precepts that they take. And then there is the bhikkhuni, which actually has, at least in the um, uh, the tradition, is is that the women who uh, the woman who is a bhikkhuni has the same stature, the status, and all of that kind of stuff that the monk does. And yet, in Thai tradition, that's still not the same thing. Now, here's something that's very interesting that a lot of people don't understand, and that is, is that Thailand, because of Buddhism, I think, is actually matriarchal. And because of that, the women have a great deal of power. And so they don't have to, like in the Western culture, women are intentionally deprived of power where in Thailand the women have the power. So in the West, power and status come kind of together. But in Thailand, the power is given to the women and the men can get the status. But the women, you know, the power behind the throne sort of thing. Um, and, now, and in Thailand, what, sorry. In Thailand, are, are there some uh, bikunis orders? Because I, well, I think I read something that, uh, like, it depended on the countries. Yes, that's correct. You're making a point, and that is, is that the bikuni order was more or less destroyed, just like the bhikkhu sangha was destroyed in uh, India. But enough of them escaped that uh, that that time period, uh, and that was in fact what spread Buddhism all over the place. But in Thailand, uh, it actually came in two waves, and in either case, the the Bhikkhuni order didn't make it to Thailand, but it did make it to both Vietnam and China, and by uh, that on to Taiwan. So now Taiwan is actually the place in the world where they have their lineage uh, traced right back to the Buddha. And not only that, but the bhikkhunis in Taiwan outnumber the monks. There's more bhikkhunis in Taiwan. So it seems like that that's the place to go. So when it happened, <laughs> so when it happened in Thailand, I mean, this was something that was going on in the 1990s. Feminism caught up with Thailand looking for the status rather than the power. Mm -hmm. So women are not equal to men until we revive the bhikkhuni hood. So find the Thai monks and uh, a very important Meiji 
went to Taiwan for the ordination, and they ordained her and several other Thai women. And I think that there was a Parang that was in that group. And then later, they go and do the same thing uh, for um, uh, Sri Lanka. Now, here's the, the kind of strange issue, but it's an issue for both men and women. And that is, is that it takes a, a preceptor 20 years to become a Maha before he can either be the abbot of a temple or to become uh, uh, the uh, Upajaya for an ordination. And that's true for the women also. But now we've had women ordained for 20 years so that we don't need to go to Taiwan or whatever to do it, that we've actually got the Bikuni order now fully established in Thailand and fully established in uh, actually in the West through the Achan Cha tradition of uh, the Bikuni that was at, I think, Amravati for such a long time, now has her own establishment in Southern California someplace. Okay, so the Bikuni system is reestablished, and I think that it's necessary for that to happen uh, for Buddhism to spread correctly in the West because of the mind state. But in Thailand, they have a different mindset. It's like they don't care that the women get what they want already anyway. And so let's go have the ceremony and make the big dude do all of the work of being important. <laughs> and then the women can take care of running the place. And that's the way that it, it is. In fact, at Wat Suen Moth, there's a huge, huge Mechi area. Part of the reason that that's there like that, and in many other Wats in um, Asia, is that the, the young man who goes to the Wat ordains and stays a monk for five years or ten years or something and then disrobes for whatever reason and then goes to his family and gets into their business after he's got five or ten years as a monk. He's a pretty sharp dude now. He can see things clearly right, rather than superstitiously or just stupidly. And so he winds up getting the family prosperous. So by the time he's about 55 or 60 time for retirement, he will give that business over to his family and he and his wife will go trotting off to the Watt and each one of them will build a cootie, one in the women's section for the wife and one in back uh, at what's so unmoke. Uh, then in fact, that's part of the reason why there's so many old wooden rundown cooties there is because they were built for men to retire in as monks and that uh, that also shows that women by the hundreds of thousands in Thailand take on this state called Mechi. Now um, there are various different forms. One is, is whether they shave their head or not. Another one is do they wear white and then dark or black below or whether they dress fully in white. And that has to do with the level of the precepts that they're taking. In fact, a woman who is fully in white and also a shaved head is is more than likely a ten preceptor. And she doesn't handle money just like the monks don't. But there are other women that in fact at Watsu and Mok when I was there, there was a very, very famous Mechi, Achan Ranchuan. 
and she was she had hair and she uh, had a black skirt but she was responsible for many many things there and she had a huge following and she spoke enough english that she would talk to the westerners there also but one of the qualities that is most remembered by her is that she had connections into the Oriental Hotel in Bangkok, which was then known as the five star hotel. I think that they invented five stars just for the Oriental back in the 1960s and whatnot. And that what Achan Ranchuan did was she would bring some of the staff down to watch So and Mok and give them training in Dhamma. And then the staff would go back and apply that, the generosity and the graciousness and the high quality attitude. Oh, really? Yes. And, and that's <laughs> what made this hotel a five star hotel was the quality of the staff. Interesting. Mm -hmm. OK, so that's just a side story. Let's get back to the fact that the Bakunis have been established all along. All the only issue is is that, uh, except for the original, his aunt, she was the only bikuni that was not ordained by a bikuni. After she, she was then in charge of the ordination. They would have actually, she would be the archon involved with it. Because the tradition is, is that the Upajaya has to be uh, at least 20 years a monk, but better still, uh, 40, the Mahathera, the ones who's been a monk for 40 years. Okay, so he's the one that has changed uh, uh, to that. But the Achan generally uh, only has been required for being a monk 10 years, and then they can take on a student. So... Um, that was kind of short-circuited at the very, very beginning, but eventually quite well established. So that uh, it actually requires both monks and nuns to do um, um, ordination for a bhikkhuni until they get enough bhikkhunis with enough of the status, and then the bhikkhunis can do it all by themselves, and we've already reached that level. So that mean, mean that the women don't need the men anymore at all. Now there's an interesting point about that too, and that is that there's still the old boys club and the hierarchy and the snobbery and the racism and bigotry that still exists in the hearts of men. And so that whole show still existed just like it did in the time of the Buddha. And so um, I, I know because I've got a friend here in Thailand, he and I have had this kind of argument before to where he takes uh, the perspective that's kind of different than I do. I take the, the, uh, the perspective of, yeehaw, the women are actually on the way. They've got it going now. And Robert will come back in with, yes, but look how far they've got to go because they've got resistance at the council. They've got resistance with the lay people. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. And that's true. It's still got some resistance here in um, actually wherever the bikunis go. There is no really safe home for bikunis except in Taiwan. Mm 
for some reason it was it was kept there, but it was also part of Chinese. But as you'll know, by the time that Mao came, what was left of Buddhism was destroyed in China. So it was left to uh, uh, the island of Taiwan. Luckily enough, I mean, that's kind of like uh, uh, having a school bus headed down a, a ravine with no brakes and all of a sudden it just kind of stops there before right before the bus crashes and that seems to be what happened with the bikuni hood is that the only place they had left was taiwan but it was because of the taiwan nuns that have revived it and now uh it's alive and well in sri lanka for sure i know i'm not sure about burma i don't think so in um um Cambodia, but it is alive. It's growing. There are several temples here in Thailand now that are dedicated to the women. All of them and Thai, by the way. You said? Yes. Mm -hmm. In Sri Lanka, there there is a Bikuni orders. Um, let us say this at least this much. I know personally of three or three Bikunis who ordained in Sri Lanka, so they've got to have something going there. Okay. There is actually a um, uh, a Vihara in of all places Greensboro, South Carolina, that has two two full fully ordained bikunis, or at least that was true in 2008, and I imagine that's still about the same. And it supports a uh, Sri Lankan community in Greenville, South Carolina. And somebody in that community, I know for sure, I've read in, uh, whatever kind of fancy car it was, somebody in that community's got money. <laughs> and so that Bikuni uh, place will probably still be in existence. But that's just the fact that, you know, little things are growing, little sprouts. I mean, Johnny Appleseed has been in town and now the Bikuni order is growing. And so the question then for all of the people who are in a hurry is, why don't you hurry up? The answer to that is, is that things take its own time. And so in, instead of worrying about why was the Buddha so reluctant, actually the reluctance that he had to it was, look at all the logistic problems that are occurring because of the, um, uh, let us say the instinct of humans on top of all the Indian society at the time was not only is he establishing two orders, they can't really mingle. They've got to stay apart. You've got to have a place for the bhikkhunis and you've got to have people who are willing to support them when they've already got the idea that it's for monks. Now, this is in fact one point about the Catholics that they didn't do this. They they did it somewhat, but they wound up with uh, nuns and monks too close together. But if they're completely separated, then, you know, by a couple of kilometers at least, then things are better off. Also, uh, in, in the Venia, there are certain rules about uh, locations and things like that. And that the women have exactly those same same rules the bhikkhunis do, 
but I understand that the Bakunis have 12 additional rules, but I can say for sure that those were added later, that that was not something that the Buddha required. At the time of the Buddha, it was uh, uh, with the robe and bow, come, you know, come. And so um, the reluctance had to do then with the fact that he's got to uh, find food, clothing, housing, a, a backup, uh, and a, a completely separate system. And now actually, we've actually reestablished that. And so we do have that complete separate system. But it will always be smaller. That for some reason, many women, in fact, you could say are content or see that it's too much work or too much bother to go ordain. And so they don't do it so much. So I would say the number of monks versus the number in Thailand would be about three to one. That's why it's actually Taiwan is so surprising is because there the nuns actually outnumber the monks. So does anybody have any questions about this? I could cover, I could go on and on about it, but I think that we've got enough. What do you think, Anna? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for 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 your response and uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes, that that in fact one of the important points is is that women have just as much chance of becoming happy humans as men do. Yes, of course. Yes, of course they do. That's the whole point of it. And yet in the old chauvinistic tradition, they have it that women have to be reborn as a man before they can uh, become enlightened. Have you ever heard anything like that? <laughs> Any of you? Have you heard that? Yeah, I think I've heard that in the Indian oh. tradition or stuff like that, no? Okay. Well, guess what? It's true. <laughs> it's Okay. But it's it's true in a non-magical way. It's true in the sense that you've got to get your mojo. You've got to get your confidence. You've got to get your uh, lion, or in the case of the women, the lioness. They've got to get that roar. <laughs> okay, the power of the knowledge that you're successful 